Less Doing, episode 94. Ari talks with Greg McEwen of Essentialism about the disciplined pursuit of less, prioritizing yourself before someone else does, and creating a quarterly personal offsite. Welcome back to Less Doing Podcast, episode 94. Uh, this episode is brought to you by a special Entheos online conference, a summit put together by Ben Greenfield. So have you ever wondered what it would be, really take to live at your peak physical and mental potential? Ben Greenfield and 25 top experts are ready to show you how. So don't miss Rev Yourself. And we have a special URL that you can go to to register for this free online summit from November 17th to the 21st. Now, Ben Greenfield is a good friend of mine. He's a really awesome fitness blogger. And of those 25 experts, I am one. So uh, you'll get to hear even more of me if you sign up for Rev Yourself with Ben Greenfield. So how you doing, Felix? Not bad, man. How's it going over there? Doing well. We are actually, I just picked up the U-Haul trailer and we are loading stuff up to move stuff to our uh, our new apartment. And uh it's actually really cool, honestly. It, it, for anybody who's who has to deal with this, you know, if you rent a U-Haul truck, it, it, they say it's like a dollar a mile or you know twenty nine dollars a day, but it ends up being very expensive if you have to travel oh, yeah. a distance. So yeah. uh, for me, it's a hundred mile move. So to rent a U-Haul truck would be about four hundred dollars, but yeah. to rent a U-Haul trailer is thirty bucks. And fortunately, we have a vehicle that we can just hook that up to the back of. And uh, oh, really, so they don't charge per mile? For no, the no, twenty nine dollars a day. Oh, that's great. Uh, and it's a 6x12 trailer, and it'll take everything. So it's great. Pretty great. cool. Cool. Uh, and even cooler is, so I tomorrow I am driving into the city, and I have to be there by 1030 for a uh, tour of a school, a preschool for our kids to go to next fall, or for one of our kids to go to. So I'm driving in, and because we have to drop the kids off at their current daycare at you know 830 or whatever, I'm basically racing into the city with this trailer full of stuff. I am having yeah. a task rabbit meet me at the school. And oh, yeah. he's going to wait with the truck for an hour oh, while I oh, go and do the thing. <laughs> and then he's going to come. Oh, great. And he me. can just drive around. Exactly. Whatever, so right? he won't get a ticket. And then he's going to help me unload. And then that's it. So Nice. Yeah. Go Ted's that's brilliant. Brother. Genius. Thank you. All right. <laughs> so today's, today's episode was with uh, Greg McEwen of Essentialism, which is uh, another... He's a much more philosophical version of doing less, and, and it was an awesome conversation, uh, and it, it was a great interview. And I want to get right into the links. Felix is, in case nobody's noticed, Felix is British, <laughs> and uh, he is going to visit his family in England uh, for the next couple of weeks. So we are trying to bang out a bunch of episodes before he leaves. So if these seem a little shorter to you, that's why, but don't worry, it's still a ton of content packed in. It's good. I yeah. need to get things, you know, said quicker anyway. <laughs> okay. So the first link I want to talk about is Parcel. And uh, Parcel is a service that will basically... So so Amazon Lockers came out a while ago, and that was where you could have your Amazon packages delivered to a locker, which they have at CVS and Green uh, Walgreens and stuff like that. And then you could go oh, pick, pick it up. Yeah. So basically, it's for people who don't have a doorman or, you know, you can't get a package while you're away. But, of course, and it's very, I think it's great. It was a really good solution. But, of course, then you still have to go, even if it's, you know, you get out of work at 10 o'clock at night, you still have to go to your local CVS and get the package, which is good, but it's still a step. Parcel, basically, they will receive your package and then they will deliver it to you on demand, which is really cool. 
No, I was I was looking at that and it does look really cool. I imagine it's only working in like uh, certain locations at the moment. Right. So they're I think they're just yeah. they're just in New York and San Francisco, I think, right now. As oh, okay. with so many of the services that we yeah, discover. <laughs> pretty much everything is New York and San Francisco, yeah. But, but gives inspiration for people to create them in their own city. Exactly. These things. Exactly. I mean if there's a demand for it here, then there's probably demand for it somewhere else. And I yeah. I think it's a good one. Speaking of which I tried so signing up for the uh the mobile garage you know car servicing service uh-huh. and then they don't service our area but i'm not surprised they're like way out <laughs> in the sticks here anyway um, parcel looks really cool so you can have them delivered at any time yeah or your time that you exactly time, on your again. time and it's five dollars per per pack per delivery right right yeah yeah which is great for so you know, something important you can you know you can get it i like it yeah you don't have to worry about missing things Mm. Um, so I got two, uh, oh, actually three Kickstarter projects this week that I want to talk about. The first one is called Stand Stand. And this is a collapsible, portable standing desk conversion device. It's, uh, it's so simple, but it's really great. Basically, it's three pieces of wood that uh, lock together in a particular way. So you put it on top of a desk and then you put your computer on it and you basically have a standing desk no matter where you go. Yeah. The only problem with this is that you'd look stupid in a coffee shop while everyone else is sitting down. Well, yes, that's true. Although I have but to it's say, it's a very good idea. I, I ha- well, you know what? One thing is, like, if you're working in an office, nice. if you're working yeah, in an office right. and you want to bring that in, you could do that. But I yeah. have seen a picture of somebody with their 27-inch iMac at a Starbucks. No way, really? <laughs> yes, with his mouse and everything, and it was uh, maybe got kicked out of his house. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, that's so cool. There's another Kickstarter project though called the Neo Smart Pen. And Man, my jaw is just dropping looking at the... Oh, there's a smart pen? This looks amazing. Isn't this cool? Yeah. Okay, so there is things like the LiveScribe, which I've mentioned before, which is a pen that you can... It'll capture your notes and everything and let you uh, uh, put them in Evernote or wherever you want. This is another similar thing, except basically you write wherever you want on a standard piece of paper, and there's there's a like a reader, basically, that goes at the, the top, essentially. Mm-hmm. And oh, it, yeah. It'll see what you're writing. It'll see what you're drawing. And you can put that into any device you want, any medium you want. Uh, it's really cool. For people who really like to do handwriting, for instance. So, like, for example, a lot of people will say that for journaling, it's more effective if you do it by hand rather than typing yeah. it out. But this lets you get the best of both worlds, I think. You know, you can write something down sort of quickly. Uh, and I'll, I'll say, like, one, I don't really do this anymore because of the feedback I've gotten. But people have said before that they've heard me typing while uh, Felix and I are speaking or while I'm doing mm-hmm. an interview. And it's because I'm taking notes and my handwriting is abysmal. But in this case, I'd be able yeah. to write silently and that capture it. so cool. Yeah, it's and it really tra- And it can transcribe. Yeah. That's the best part. I don't need this, but oh my god, it looks amazing. It's the kind of thing anyway. that you, may, you don't need until you need it. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, and then there is another... Uh, it's not Kickstarter, it's Indiegogo, actually. It's called oh, 24 Olive. hours to go. Which one? Oh, yeah. 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 Um, so, well, you know what they've been doing on Indiegogo, and uh, Tracker is an example of this, and we actually have an interview with the Tracker guy coming up soon, but uh, if you do really well on Indiegogo, certain projects, they'll turn into, like, ever-fund projects, meaning that you can continue to, pay, to like, pay for them and fund them on Indiegogo and get the rewards, like, oh, really? to attorney, basically. Wow. 
but so this other one is Indiegogo project is called Olive and it's about it's a stress management device. And so everyone knows why I love stress management, but this thing is really cool. So it looks like a bracelet or like, you know, a fitness tracking bracelet. But what it does is it recognizes the things that cause stress. So it's looking at heart rate, uh, skin temperature, and your physical wow. activity, and, and exposure to light even. So it can tell you that, for instance, you tend to get really stressed out about 9 o'clock at night. And maybe that means that you're having too much light in your environment. You know, that wow. point of night. Yeah, it's very, very intelligent. This is, you know, there's always this issue where you can track data, but then you don't necessarily... You can't necessarily correlate it to anything, and that's always kind of the tricky part. Mm-hmm. This actually creates a lot of those correlations for you. Okay. So it can tell you, for instance, that like, hey, <clears throat> you know, 8.30 to 9 every morning, you're a little more stressed than usual. It's like, well, that's probably your commute. So then what it can do is it'll actually vibrate and recommend that you do a breathing activity or meditate, mm-hmm. or, and it'll walk you through it. God, you know what? This, is, this looks really... Really clever. I would, I would get this. Oh, I would totally get this. I, it I'm, looks really, really nicely done. It's really attractive. It Those is glasses it's, it's, we mentioned on the last one. <laughs> That's didn't nice. pass my test, but this is really. They've got it in white, black. They've even got an heirloom edition in eighteen karat gold for a thousand dollars. Oh, I didn't see that. And okay, yeah. There's wow. even above that. It's the new unique edition. In your color, it says, uh, so you probably choose whatever color you want, and that's twelve hundred bucks. But they start at you know, hundred and twenty nine for the basic one, and uh, um, there are lower things just to get started funding it. I, I just you know I, I think that if you can identify the things that cause stress, it, it's 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 got some really powerful potential to open some doors to being a lot more effective in your life. Yeah, exactly. And this is a, a great way to do it. I really, I mean, this is going to get funded because it's only got $9,000 to go and they've got 26 days left. So I, I'm, I can't wait wow. to, uh, to hopefully yeah. try out one of these things. Yeah. Um, uh, and so then the last thing I have is there's a, a, a new app or newish app called Flowkey. I have been, uh, so when I was younger, I played the piano and I was, I never practiced and I hated doing it, but I loved playing the piano and it's something that I really, really want to get back to at some point, but there's just, you know, there's limited time in the day to do anything yeah. sort of extracurricular. This is, this is sort of like, remember, uh, you know, Guitar Hero, you know, where you have to hit the, the dot, yeah. that, right? So this yeah. is kind of like that, except it's actually, uh, it, it's showing you the key positions. It's showing you the notes as the, and it sort of moves along with you. And you basically, you put the computer, you know, you put your laptop on the, uh, the the keyboard, sorry, and then you play along, but it actually is listening to you play. So oh, it's really? gonna, yeah, so it's going to see how you play. It's going to adjust to your tempo, which is kind oh, of amazing. Really? Yeah, uh, because that's that's always kind of an issue for me with these kinds of things. So th- this looks like a really cool way to sort of hack learning the piano. And it's not this is not like a cheat thing where you're you're fi- it's not like the fake method or any of that stuff. Like you're you're actually learning to play uh, visually and. Uh, with immediate feedback, and I always love immediate feedback. So. Wow, I'd love to try this. Yeah, yeah. well, you play you the piano. Try it right away. Well, yeah, but I'm not a I'm not a pianist. I, I I don't really play the piano. You would not want to have to listen to me play a piece of music. You would. Uh, I I I I do what's called writer's piano. I can write music on it, but you don't want to hear me try and play it. <laughs> okay, fair enough. 
Well, okay. So Felix and I are going to try this, and, and next episode we're gonna we're gonna do a duet for everyone. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then you have one link, right? Before we uh, before we wrap up this. Yeah, uh, this yeah. My episode. favorite thing, and I and I this is something I've been using for years. Uh, it's called Keyboard Maestro. You know, anyone who's been listening to the podcast recently will know that I'm a big fan of um, key commands. And there's this app called Keyboard Maestro, which works for both PC and Mac. And you can make your own customized key command. It does a ton of things. You can have um, what you can... So, for example, what I use it for is when I'm writing music in... Um, there are some buttons that don't exist in logic. So what I do is I I have I like record like in a, a sequence either a, a button or somewhere on the screen that that I have to click and I can actually save that as a key command. So instead of having to, you know, find the spot on, you know, cuz I've got like three gigantic monitors here and um and I can convert everything to be key commands. And it does a lot more than that. It can launch apps at certain times, do save things it's it's amazing but um if you're interested in key commands this is a huge productivity tool and it's called keyboard maestro yeah absolutely and i I don't want to downplay the significance of this for people because it it, like zapier and ifttt are of the same vein for me because it's those kinds of things that you're like oh it just it takes me 15 seconds it takes me 30 seconds it takes me a minute to do this takes Mm -hmm. you know but you're doing it dozens of times a day Oh yeah, you know, so the, it, this can save a significant amount of time, and also it just becomes second nature, and then you don't have to think about the other stuff. And I, I think it's yeah. a good thing. And it, it, you know, for me, having to find this tiny little dot on the screen to click, right? Um, it interrupts the flow. Whereas if I can just have you know command key command for it, and then punch in the number that I need, it's great. This would be particularly good for like graphic designers, um, video editors. Um, that kind of thing. Yeah. Right. So cool. All right. That's, that's our, one of the short episodes for today. Um, thank you everyone for listening in and, uh, we'll see you on the next episode. Indeed. Okay. All right. So, uh, let me, so now I'm speaking with Greg McEwen, who is the author of essentialism, the disciplined pursuit of less. And if, if I needed to give any introduction as to why I wanted to talk to Greg after that title, then you're listening to the wrong podcast. So, Greg, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Uh, it's great to be with you. So, let's start. Like, what what got you to the path of essentialism? What 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 led you to to write the book? Well, what really pushed me over the edge was reflecting on an experience that I had when I was. Uh, pulled between two things that both seemed really important, really urgent, and I um, basically failed the test. Uh, This was a few days before my daughter was going to be born, and I got an email from my boss at the time, and she said, look, you know, Friday would be a very bad time to have a baby. And, uh, you know, like we can control these things. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, instead of being very clear, you know, of course, this isn't going to work. When Friday came, and that is when my daughter was born, uh, instead of being able to be just totally focused in the moment, uh, I was actually completely stressed out, feeling that somehow I had to kind of make both of these things work. And so I was there for my uh, baby's birth and so on, but instead of, you know, where my attention should have been, I was straddling it. 
And as it turns out, I chose two days for the meeting. I felt enough pressure to do it, and I went. And I remember that my boss at the time afterwards said to me, uh, you know, the, the client will respect you for the choice you made. And although it didn't immediately have this sort of life-changing impact, when I look back, I just think, you know, even if that was true, surely I'd made a fool's bargain. And that was really where I began to learn, learn this critical lesson, which is that if you don't prioritize your life, then someone else will. And so this so I, gave I, me... Yeah, go ahead. But that was actually, that was one of the, that was going to be my next question, because that was one of the quotes from the book that I just thought was so uh, poignant and so, so well said. So actually, if you could elaborate on that a little bit, I, I think that that's, that's just an excellent, excellent way to put it. Well, so, so often, too often, when we think about prioritization, we think about it in a vacuum. You know, that it's just something that you do on a piece of paper, figure out, here's my list, put it in priority order, and so on. And that this is, this is what we mean by prioritization. And, and I'm not knocking the need for that internal clarity. I, I absolutely think it, it is critical. But that's not where, you know, the hard, uh, might even say bloody work of, of prioritization takes place. I mean, the really brutal work takes place once we've made that list, once we are back on email or back in the office or back where other people have an agenda uh, for us. And it's there that we have to learn how to navigate uh, very, um, we have to develop, you know, a full leadership competency uh, for being able to handle that negotiation so that we don't simply uh, give up our right to choose, give up our right to negotiate uh, for other people who have authority for us. Sure. Okay. Well, and then about the choosing. So that was actually the second one I wanted to ask you about, which uh, struck me really <laughs> strongly from the book was uh, when you said that the ability to choose cannot be taken away or uh, I'm gonna, I, I don't want to misquote you, but you say it can't be taken away or given, right? But it can only be forgotten. Yeah. At some point, we start to discover this. I, in some ways, I think there's two versions of our life. There's life until we learn this, and then there's life after we learn this. And, uh, you know, life before it means that Look, I just have to do things. There's a whole set of things one has to do. Uh, and including that is the idea that if someone with greater authority than us in the workplace, for example, but it can certainly happen in our personal life as well, simply says, look, this is what you need to do. We feel an obligation so strong uh, that, that it's, it's laughable, the idea that we don't do it. It's laughable that we would do anything but say, yes, when do you need it? How high do I jump? You know, this type of a response. And I'm not advocating in the book that we suddenly become unhelpful people, uh, that we simply say no to anyone regardless of the consequence. I'm not arguing for that at all, but I am arguing that we become really aware of those choices, really deliberate in how we make them, and that we reclaim the right to negotiate, that we realize that if we want to have uh, you know, make a really high contribution to our organization, uh, then we don't simply say yes to everyone without thinking about it. Now, that is a strategy that doesn't work uh, and uh, I think leads to people feeling overworked and underutilized, busy but not productive, uh, and, uh, and just stretch too thin at work, at work and at home. 
So where do you usually tell people to begin, you know, when they, when they, because in, in what I do, you know, I'm constantly dealing with people who are telling me that they're overwhelmed, you know, so, and it, it, it's almost hard to tell someone in that situation where to start because it, it, even starting something is just adding something, right? So where, how do you usually tell people that they should start on this path? You're absolutely right. It's one of the reasons I think the subject that, um, that that you and I are passionate about is such a relevant thing is that if you suggest anything to people who are overwhelmed, uh, they, they can't consume it. So no matter how valuable the subject is today, no matter which leadership competency, you know, which strategy or, you know, someone's advocating, if it if advocates for anything that equals more, uh, I think we're in a losing battle, however true the subject happens to be. Uh, and so, I mean, in a way, I start with um, a metaphor and a mindset. Uh, and, and the metaphor is just to think for a moment about, um, you know, well, first of all, the literal closet of our, life, uh, of, of our life. So if you vision how full your closet is and the false idea that we sometimes have that, look, the solution to our overly packed uh, closet is to have a bigger closet. And if you could just have a bigger closet, that would solve the problem. Uh, but anyone who's got a bigger closet at any time realizes that is not the problem because you certainly fill that up too, and that becomes overburdened and bulging. And so the first place, that's the metaphor, the, the mindset that I'm advocating is that, you know, we have to get out of this, what Jim Collins called the undisciplined pursuit of more that has so infected you know, our lives, uh, the teams that we work on, the organizations we work in, the society at large, the idea that if we can fit it in, we should fit it in. And the reason I feel so strongly that the mindset is first, rather than getting to a skill set or a tool set or a particular application, is that if you get the mindset wrong, every other tool, every other, uh, you know, app, skill, um, process, exercise, all of it can exacerbate the very problem they're intended to improve. And so the first thing I'm suggesting, even though it's not uh, an action in the traditional sense, is you've got to get the mindset. You've got to see how, uh, how infected you, know, you are with the dominant uh, mindset of today, which is more will equal success. Uh, and so on. What it really equals is stress and overwhelm and overload. So this is the first, it's not quite an action, but uh, the first thing that I you know, suggest to people is you've just got to discover uh, that there's this um, uh, untrue myth that has been peddled and we've got it. Uh, until you get to there, I think none of the other things matter. Does that make sense? Oh, of course, and that's what makes sense. Actually, the, you know, the first fundamental of my system is really about self-awareness. And, it, it, I, you know, I believe that with all the overwhelm that people experience, all the responsibilities put on them, the requirements that they're asked to do, the, you know, email, phone calls, projects, all sorts of stuff, there's just this, this loss of self-awareness because there's just too much for the brain to process. So I, I couldn't agree more. And the, the thing about the bigger closet, I think, is a good point as well because if you believe in you know, Parkinson's law at all, and the work is going to expand to fill the space, then why would you want to provide a bigger space when you could provide, you know, more constrained space? So, no, I, I think that, that makes absolute sense. 
Um, well, and, 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 and riffing on that for a moment, uh, I mean, clearly you do understand this mindset because of the work that you're doing and the title that you came up with. I mean, it, it, it grows out of, I think at some point, an awareness of a pain that everybody is in. Uh, it's just this universal experience, and, uh, and yet because everybody is in it, it it's like... Um, I don't know. In a way, and it's related. I think it's it's like realizing that you know sometimes you, you I can get a little bit uh, you know put on ten pounds, but as you're walking down the street, as long as everyone else is getting bigger, uh, then you're fine. You, you you look okay, and uh, and I think the same is going on now with this overwhelm and this what I've come to call the busyness bubble, which is that we're all in this state of um, irrational exuberance for more, for busyness. And it's why people, when you ask them how they are, oh, I'm so busy. Uh, so I'm killing myself, I'm so busy. Somebody the other say, they said to me, I, I haven't slept, I've slept on average four hours a night for the last two weeks. And the thing was not just that they were saying it, was that they said it with such a smile. I mean, they were proud of being able to tell me this. And you know what they were they were pretending that this was a bad thing, and it's all part of this logic, this fallacy that we and, and, and you know fundamentally, I think we have been sold a bill of goods, but we don't recognize it because everybody is still uh, you know everyone is still caught up in this overvalued asset uh, of, of of busyness. and so once we discover that, suddenly we're free to uh, to make a different choice. Well, I, the other thing is, quite honestly, the the working more and the even working harder to some extent, in, in a way, is the lazy or the easy route. Because sure, you know, if you, if you just put in the time and you do it, and you work and you work, it's going to get done. But that's not the smarter way. So it's it's very short term thinking versus versus long term thinking. Because in the short term, it's like it, it, it's it's what I hear all the time, which is people saying, "Oh, I'll just do it myself. It'll just take a minute." It's like, well, yeah, but there's going to be 50 things like that. And the minute that you're taking to do that prevents you from doing what you're supposed to be doing for 20 minutes. So it's, it, it is, it's a very bizarre sort of paradox where you're, you're, you're trying to exemplify this moniker of success that it really is kind of backwards. Yeah. I, I just, I love what you just said there. And, uh, and, and I, I think, I mean, you were talking about delegation there. I mean, it's such a good example where somebody, says, no, I, I will do it myself, uh, as, if, as if this is solving the problem. Uh, but actually, they're just exacerbating this ongoing issue. I, I think about um, Boxer the horse in Animal Farm, uh, whose setback, whose response to every kind of setback and every kind of problem, his great motto is, I will work harder. Uh, but actually, that very mantra and that very short-term well-intended blindness exacerbates the very problems he's trying to solve. And I think that a lot of us are like that. Uh, and, and we're like that because we were rewarded for being like that. In the early days, if you, if you work hard at school, you get good grades. And if you, work, if you get good grades, you might end up with a good job. Maybe not, but maybe. Uh, and that might even work when you're first employed. But there's a certain point, and it's quite early on, when simply working harder does not actually increase your contribution and value. There's a certain point where you have to shift towards, I'm going to think differently, I'm going to lead differently, 
uh, and I'm going to become incredibly selective about the things that I actually pursue. Well, and, yeah, and I think that, in, I mean, in addition, it actually has a pretty deleterious effect, honestly, because that's why everybody is experiencing burnout and the overall is because they've just, they've worked too hard and they've, they've basically broken themselves. There's so many people, especially nowadays with, with uh, health and wellness experts and even you know, productivity people, like a lot of them have gone through some transformation because of some incident that has happened that, you know, a lot of times it's self-imposed in some ways. So that, that, that definitely makes sense. Uh, but now on, on like a practical level, you know, so if you're getting that mindset, okay, so then, then what's next? Like, for instance, you know, how do you sort of divide up your day? Like, how do you, how do you plan out your day or your week or do you? Yeah, I absolutely do. And, uh, and, and I, I advocate uh, really taking, uh, d- designing a dream routine and saying, okay, we have this 168 hours, this resource is fixed, and, you know, of course you can delegate and so on, but the, the time that one has is this ridiculously, absurdly precious resource. Uh, and so, so I advocate taking a you know, piece of paper, uh, you know, divide it into seven days, and, and literally with the 168 hours saying, okay, when am I sleeping? You know, eight hours, where do the eight hours come in? And deciding that. So therefore, when do I get up? Uh, what am I going to do the very first 20 minutes of the day? What will I do? Uh, you know, I'm a strong advocate here for, uh, for not reaching uh, for your mobile phone. Uh, you know, wh- whatever one does, I think, is better than that. Because the moment we do that, we're on email, we're into somebody else's agenda uh, for our lives. And we're also just caught up, not even just in other people's agenda, but a certain manicness uh, that follows uh, you know, tapping into everybody and being uh, being digitally plugged in. So, you know, so for me, the first twenty minutes, I mean, I, I'm reading wisdom literature of some kind that is trying, you know, centers me. Uh, my basic rule uh, is to work on it until I feel centered again. Uh, and then, uh, uh, for me, I have a, a whole routine. I have four children. Uh, sometimes people joke that that's not very essentialist of me. Uh, but, uh, you know, so my wife and I have a whole routine and literally there are check marks to this, right? Check boxes, right? Very clear routine so that this works. We bike to school. Uh, so that's sort of my exercise, several miles every day, taking them all. And it's also good family time. Uh, I mean, the, the, the reason I emphasize what I'm saying here is that none of this happened by default. You know, not, not the, not the eight hours of sleep. Nothing in society is really going to initiate that. Uh, getting up and spending, you know, 20 minutes in, in wisdom, but you can, nothing in society is emphasizing that, you know, exercise. There are different groups emphasizing that, but so, so many times we don't get time for that. And and my, my experience is you have to, you know, use all the, the faculty and creativity and resourcefulness that we possibly have to put into designing a routine that really makes sure that the things we view as essential uh, are are the automatic path. Uh, so that that becomes the default position, so that we aren't using our precious discipline energy to make the same decisions again and again and again. Well, will I exercise? When will I exercise? Am I going to bother today? Oh, that's too stressful. I can't get around to it. We use up this energy and it then puts us into decision fatigue. Uh, and so my, my point of view is you use that energy that we that have, the discipline we have to design a routine so that then it becomes as effortless as possible. Yeah, there's a, a wonderful quote that uh, I, I love from, it's a, 
the British mathematician, um, I'm blanking on the name now, but he basically said that society progresses based on the number of uh, things that we can make automatic or things that we can do without having to think about them. So I, oh, I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Love that. Uh, so once people sort of get on this path, what, what, I, what I find with a lot, and, and not, that, not that this is a productivity system per se, what you're, obviously what you're talking about is the whole mindset, but when people sort of get on these new paths, whether it's a productivity system or even a diet or just this, this sort of new way of thinking, that, then there's so, I feel like there's sometimes a tendency to get a little bit too rigid with it, and then they can't deal with the sort of deflections that come up later. You know, so even in, you know, and you're, you're a father, and like you know, there's obviously a lot of stuff going on in your life. So, what do you do when you feel like you're maybe you know skimming the edge of taking on too much or getting overwhelmed? And how do you regain that center? How do you regain that exposure? Yeah, it is a terrific question. Um, let me just. First of all, talk about the uh, that dream routine I was just talking about. Uh, this is a very subtle thing, but I found that if I keep that routine, I mean, I keep it in a journal. I'm a big believer in a, a paper journal. Um, and so I keep it in a journal, and I always do it in pencil. And, and that's just a small thing, but, man, it makes a big difference because then the whole implication is at any one time I have a single routine, this is the routine that I'm seeking to follow. Um but I'm constantly adjusting it. I'm constantly saying, you know, that isn't realistic anymore. You know, I used to write from this time to this time, but if I'm going to take the children to, uh, to, to, you know, to school on, on the bike, then that suddenly has to change. And it forces you to get real and honest, but it's all about adaptation. So uh, from a conceptual point of view, the, the language I think is helpful is that often we think about focus as a noun, uh, uh, you know, a, thing, a set thing, like a photograph, a picture, a noun of you know, how things should be. Uh, but what I think is more valuable is to think about focus as a verb, uh, something we continually do. And this is one of the reasons I'm so partial to the language of the disciplined pursuit of less. Uh, it's, it's a constant, ongoing journey, uh, something not, to, not, not, not something to, to beat ourselves up with, but something to keep returning to. Something we go, okay, it, you know, I like the metaphor of, uh, of prototyping and using every day and every week as a prototype for a way of uh, living. And we say, okay, well, I tried it this way. How did it work? What, where was it stressful? What didn't work? What isn't realistic? Uh, and then adjusting again and again and again. This is, I think, the, probably the biggest difference in what I'm arguing in essentialism to traditional uh, prioritization is is that you can't do it as one more thing. It's a different way of looking at everything. So it's an ongoing uh, you know, pursuit to be able to figure out what's essential and what really works. Yeah, I think that's a, a very good way to frame it. Actually, I, I think that's a, a, a wonderful answer to that question. Uh, so then, again, so I'm just trying to get a sort of a, a good picture of this. You know, so once people are in that mindset, you know, how do you sort of check in with yourself, you know, and make sure that you are still reevaluating and, you know, constantly sort of updating the parameters as needed? Is there, are there certain parameters that you would, I, I, you know, writing the, the, the seven days down on the piece of paper is obviously a very good one, but what are some other methods that you use to sort of like check in with yourself? Yeah, that's terrific. So, so the biggest thing um, is once a quarter, having a personal quarterly offsite. So taking a full day 
I mean, it doesn't like have to be. And I, I, I work for myself, and so it's a bit easier for me to be able to choose what days those are. Uh, but, but even if somebody has a lot of structure around their five days and they need to take a Saturday, I still think it's worth the investment one day a quarter to say, you know, ask the big questions. We understand that in business terms, why a CEO would do that and why, in fact, we would think it was their fiduciary responsibility to do it because otherwise we know they'll get pulled into only the day-to-day reactiveness uh, of, you know, modern life. And so by the same logic, we can do the same thing to ourselves. And so what I advocate there generally is that we are asking three broad questions. Uh, one is uh, looking back, one is looking to the future, and then one is looking you know, short-term, so source of the present. So the first question is, what's, a, what, what, what's going on in my world? Uh, if someone hadn't done this you know, maybe ever or certainly for a long time, you can ask for the last few years, what's been going on? And you just write down, what have I been doing? What's the news? What's, uh, what, where have I been spending my time? You know, what am I doing? And grounding ourselves in that reality. And then the second question, uh, again, if someone hasn't done it for a long time, you can ask the really big questions, which are, you know, what would I do if I only had a week left to live? What would I do if I had a month left to live? a year, five years, and then the rest of my life. And you can spend an hour just on that little exercise. Sometimes I think of it as being the most important hour of your life. And so you write that down. And, and, and again, you can't literally take straight from that and design uh, you know, your, your dream routine, but you certainly get insights into it, the things that will really matter to you. Um, and then the third thing is to do with the present. And that's where you say, okay, what am I going to do over the next 90 days? If I could only get one thing done, what would it be? And maybe you have one thing for work and one thing for you know, sort of personal goal and a professional goal. And then you start breaking that down. Okay, therefore, what would my weekly routine need to look like? And so you come out of your uh, personal quarterly offsite with insights into the past, into the future, uh, so that you're taking the long view, but you've also whittled that down into a routine that you say, if I f- pursue this consistently over the next 90 days, I have a, uh, every reason to believe I will achieve this goal, uh, this, this priority. So I find that a critical investment in making sure we're actually focused on those things that will be essential to us in the, in, in the longer term. Okay, so I, I think that that is, Honestly, that is amazing. As a as a suggestion, as a methodology, I can't I can't even express to you honestly how much that resonates with me. Um, and and one little part of that that really struck a chord with me is about how you said you, you pick the one thing and then what does your weekly routine have to look like? And I can tell you that my one of the fundamentals of my system is organization. And for that method, I basically tell people to put into place artificially restrictive limits on themselves, whatever it may be. You know, you said the bigger closet. It can literally be that, you know, having a smaller space in the closet. And then you have to work backwards to find the way to get to that solution. So sometimes, you know, the, the solu- it, it, it comes in reverse. So I, I think that creating that one goal for the quarter and then working backwards weekly is it's just so uh, clear-cut. I think that's amazing. Well, we, we can riff on that for a, for a moment as well. I mean, this idea of a singular focus, right? We, we obviously have a word for it, right? It's priority. And um, I mean, I found that 
I found it fascinating to track the history of that word. So the word priority came into the English language, uh, you know, in the, the 1400s. And it was singular, very sensibly. Uh, it meant the prior thing, the very first thing. And what I found fascinating was that it stayed singular for the next 500 years. And it was only in the 1900s that we pluralized the term and started speaking of priorities. And I always joke that I'll, I'll, I'll give 50 points to Gryffindor for, uh, for anyone who can define what that word means in a sensible way. I mean, how can you have very, very many, very first prior things? And yet, although, of course, we can have lots of things that are important, the very gift of the word was to figure out the most important thing. And at first, that feels quite unrealistic to people, uh, precisely because we're so, that, you know, non-essentialism has such a monopoly view in our lives. Uh, we're so used to talking of priorities. But if we stay at it, if we focus for a while on it, take the time in this personal course of the offsite, it will reveal itself. And everything improves the moment we do. Because all of a sudden, everything else starts to take its proper, uh, you know, be seen in its proper perspective. And things can be important, but you say, no, I'm not doing it this quarter. It's a great thing. It's an important thing, but we'll deal with it later. And suddenly, all of this ridiculous stress we feel uh, starts to be able to be pushed, pushed, uh, you know, pushed away a bit from us so that we have the space to really get great work done. Yeah, absolutely. So, so on that note, uh, I'm, I'm going to ask you the last question that I always ask on this podcast, which is, what are your top three personal recommendations for people to want to be more effective? You know, just three little pieces of advice from, from whatever you, you've learned in your life and, and, your, and your work, but what are those top three pieces of advice? Now, I'm assuming these have to be different than the things we've talked about, so can I connect these three together? Oh, by all means, connect. Do whatever kind of natural idea. <laughs> all right, good, good. That was uh, just the permission I needed. So, so number one, I think, is have a personal quarterly offsite, and exactly the way we've already talked about it. Uh, number two is after you've designed this dream routine once a week, uh, you know, I use Sunday evening, you take somewhere between 20 minutes and an hour to review that routine, review what's actually on your schedule this week, and start to, you know, make adjustments. Uh, eliminate where you can, delegate where you can, you know, come back to this routine that you've actually designed, adjust the routine if necessary. So that's number two. And number three is then in the day-to-day -day application of essentialism, it's, you know, make a list of the top six things you need to get done, you know, in the next day. I think it makes sense to do it the night before. Um, that means you don't have to hit the day so reactively. You make a list of six things. You prioritize the six so that you really know which the, the actual priority is, number one. Then you cross off the bottom five, and you take that first item, and write it on a post-it note, put it on your you know, computer or wherever you're going to be doing that work, schedule the first two hours of the day to focus on that item, and then that's it. The next day you come in, you know what the work is, and you have permission and, you know, the discipline in the moment uh, of choice, push everything else off, actually get that done. I, I used to think about that list as being a nice little tip and maybe not much more than that. But what I've found as people have done it, 
fact, I just had an exceptionally accomplished um, uh, leader come to me recently, uh, call me and said, said, of all the different things we've talked about, the thing that has been most valuable is, to, is that single idea that you schedule these two hours on the priority each day. And I've done that myself. It has transformed the way that I operate. I've taught it to the CEOs in my uh, you know, portfolio of companies. Uh, and they say that is the single thing that has moved their companies forward and, and moved the needle. So it, it's come to be more important in my mind than maybe I originally even intended it to be uh, because I can see it actually has the power of relevancy in the day-to-day uh, challenge of applying these ideas. So those, those are the three items. Yeah, and those those are really wonderful examples, so thank you for those. Uh, I'm pretty sure that you and I could go on for several hours on the topic, but we're, we're, we're up on time there. So I want to thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to talk to me about the book. And also, just I, I'm going to put links in the show notes, of course, but just tell people where the best place to find out more about you is. Oh, I think... Uh... I think just gregmcewan.com, so G-R-E-G-M-C-K-E-O-W-N.com. Yeah, so we'll have that, and we'll obviously have a link to the book. And, and Greg, thank you so much for, for talking to me. It was really, really uh, wonderful. Hey, thank you ever so much for the time. Thank you. Hey, everyone. It's Felix here. Thanks for taking the time to listen in, and we hope you're enjoying the podcast. We always like to hear your feedback. Please make sure to check out the blog at lessdoing.com where you can find out about Ari's elite group coaching mastermind group, as well as the Less Doing University, which has over 100 hours of video content and a question and answer forum too. Also, if you love the show, please take a moment to leave us a positive review on iTunes. Thanks a lot and we'll see you next week.